Come on up. some things in my bag. Which one do you think I'm going to take out of my bag? There are three things. You don't know? Maybe yes. Thing two. Number two. Number two. No, I'm taking out number one. <laughs> Good guess. Good try. What's in here is a circular thing. You've seen them before. It's very, very easy to see. It's a quarter. You know what a quarter is like, right? Well, a quarter has the head of a portrait of the head of George Washington, and then it used to years ago have an eagle on the back. And we used to call this this side of the coin is called heads, and this side of the coin is called tails. And if I do this and I say I flip it in the air and I say, while it's in the air, I want you to call out. Do you think it's going to land with heads up or tails up? What do you think? Ready? Who said heads? Me. Who said tails? Me. You guys were right. So you predicted correctly. Uh, See? Now, there's only two choices. That's easy to do. You can still get it wrong, but it's easy to get it right more often when there's just two chances of it being wrong. Now, here's another one that's interesting. This is 52 chances to get it right. Now you see, there's two spades, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to ace of spades. Then there's the two of diamonds, all the way up to the ace of diamonds. The two of clubs, all the way up to the ace of clubs. Two of hearts, all the way up to the ace of hearts. So now, I'm gonna shuffle And I want you to guess which card I'm going to get. Now, when I say yes, I want you to predict. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to be a heart. Okay, let's see. Top card. Is it a heart? No! You didn't do it right! Let's try again. One chance out of 
Oh, do I trust him? Is this a heart, or is this a diamond, or is this a spade, or is this a blood? Blood? You're wrong again! <laughs> See, it's hard to predict the future, isn't it? It's hard to make predictions. The more, the more, the more, the more the chances are, the greater thing is. Now, see this? This book, this is called The Christian's Secret to a Happy Life. It's an old, old book. There are 207 pages. So I'm going to randomly switch through this, and you tell me when to stop. Tell me, stop. Stop. Okay. What page do you think I'm going to stop on? Between 1 and 207. 188? Wrong! 99! <laughs> you didn't say it mostly I'm right. You got, some of you got the tails thing right, but the rest of them you didn't predict right. See, it's hard to make predictions and get them right. Now, I'm going to read you a Bible story about when Jesus made a prediction. And he got it right. It's Luke chapter 24. Excuse me, Luke chapter... Matthew chapter 24, that's why it's not. Matthew chapter 24, and it's verses 1 through 42. He talks about the destruction of the temple. And Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. And they came and he pointed to the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these buildings? I tell you, there will not be one left here. One stone upon another that will not be knocked down and thrown down. And the disciples said, Jesus, when is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign? And what's going to be the, the coming of the end of the age? And Jesus went into this long discussion about all the things that were going to happen and what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, what was going to happen. And then finally he said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son, only God the Father knows. See, there are certain things that only God allowed, God knows. And only God wants to know. He doesn't want anybody else to know about it. So we can make predictions in the, uh, about the future, but sometimes God doesn't reveal to us and let us know what was, what's going to happen in the future. But one thing we can know for sure, for certain about the future, and this is the thing I want you to remember. Whenever people are trying to make predictions and trying to tell you things, that this is going to happen or that's going to happen or what's going to happen in the future, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. This is what we can always say to them. <clears throat> Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? No matter what comes, no matter, even though you don't know what's coming, no matter how scary the future might be for some people, because sometimes people get worried, 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 worried about what's going to happen. You can say, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know that God has promised He will never leave me, He will never forsake me, He will be here with me, and I can trust Him. And that's the thing you hold on to. And then people start getting a lot of worry about the future, making predictions, and you just don't know. Let me pray with you, and then you guys are going to go back with. Who's going to go back with?
Miss Jamie. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, God, to learn to trust you. Even though they don't know what's coming down the pipe, help them to recognize and know that you have promised to always be with them and that you will never fail them and that you always take care of them, Lord. And let them hope and trust in that and that alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys. Thanks for coming on up. Go have fun painting. Not fair, not fair, not fair. All right. I told you guys um, a little bit ago that my wife had just, my wife and I had just returned from a trip to San Angelo, Texas, where we visited with her family. And one of the things that we um, learned from her from while visiting there is that Sheldon has just recently retired and he is just enjoying life as a retiree. And his wife hopes to retire soon, but she's probably got another six years before she's fully ready to retire. But they're still looking to the future and what they want to do. They actually drive to a small town called Robert Lee, which is about a 30-minute drive or so north of town to go to church. And that's where their daughter and grandkids live. And so they go up there all the time. And Verna's mom and dad and brother have already bought land it's virgin land right there in Robert Lee. It's beautiful. I mean, it's it's West Texas, you know, high desert, but it's still beautiful, 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 beautiful views and glorious sunsets and rattlesnakes and all these good things. But no, really, he Sheldon took us out and just walked us all over the property. It's just dramatically beautiful and gorgeous. And Sheldon and Verna have been thinking, you know, they've lived 40 plus years in San Angelo, 60 years, actually, plus years in San Angelo. But now it's time for them to come to the last number of years of their time on this earth. And what do they want to do? And they want to live where their daughter and grandkids are and, and be with the family. And so they are they are looking to move to Robert Lee. Well, Robert Lee, I looked it up on the Internet. It has, as of the 2019, the last time there was an official count, they have 1,040 people that live in Robert Lee. Guess what? Two Rivers, Pleasant Valley, we have 1,445. So their community population size is about the same. We're a little bit bigger. But they are more condensed because they are an actual neighborhood-style community. So there's crossroads and there's one school building, which is the high school, the elementary school, and the school district all in one building. But it was built in 2010. It's phenomenal. It's gorgeous. Our niece is the music teacher and choir director for the entire school, including the 32 preschool children that have a pre-K program there. And she was telling us how crazy it is trying to corral 32, 26 pre-Kers, teaching them all about up on the housetop, Jane Beer, pause, down comes good. Shh, don't say that. We're not supposed to tell anybody we're singing that for the Christmas program. We saw the kids singing that out on the playground, but they're not supposed to tell anybody. Anyway, it was just a wonderful experience being in this little town. And Sheldon and Verna were looking to move there. The challenge is, it's an old town, and everybody who lives there has lived there forever. And unless the house is empty, they don't have a house to go into. Well, guess what? They found this perfect house. There's only, what, six or seven houses right now that are... 
even empty and, and available, and most of them are not very nice. But this one they found was built in 1959. It is so cool. It's got gorgeous wood paneling. Um, they showed us in the kitchen. It's got this built into the wall, pull it out thing. It's a toaster. This is state of the art 1959, but it's so cool. I mean, it just, but the, the property is gorgeous. And Sheldon and Verna have been working on trying to get into that home for months now. They've been actually, Sheldon has been over there cutting down tree, dead parts of the tree and, and clearing the property and doing stuff that needed to be done to keep the thing going uh, up, up and going while they were waiting for closing. And then something happened with the closing and it didn't work. And then they scheduled it. They need another couple of weeks. And, and finally, after it was all said and done, they need another couple of weeks. And then finally, Sheldon said, look, if it's not done by the 8th of October, I'm going to consider that God is closing that door. Because, I mean, we've had wall roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. They love this house. They want to live here. It's a perfect house. It's less than $100,000 for this house. It's amazing. And what had happened was the people who owned it before, neither... The two people who lived there were not married. They were in a common law marriage. And so when they died, the law said it was two separate estates that had to agree to the sale of the property. So the challenge was that this person who lives in California had to sign all the documents and agree to the sale. And this person who lives in Arizona had to sign all the documents and agree to the sale. And so one of the challenges was that this guy that lived in Arizona had the power of attorney so that he could do all the stuff on behalf of his father. But he didn't have a power of attorney that was valid in Texas. So they had to make another arrangement so that they can get documents. After it's all said and done, the last thing that has to happen is they just have to do the probate of the will. So they get the will sent to the lawyer. The lawyer is supposed to process it real quickly and then close on that Friday the 8th. Two days before the 8th, the lawyer finally opens up the envelope that was sent to him. And what is the likelihood that there are two James Edward Joneses in the exact same time who both died... And they sent the wrong file. So the eighth comes and goes. And Sheldon and Verna are left with no house. And the the real estate agent says, we can get this resolved really quickly. And Sheldon said, we said that this would be the definitive thing from God. That for whatever reason, this is not God's plan for us. So no. We've given you grace upon grace upon grace. No. So they signed all the documents while we were there, backing out of the sale to get their money back. Of course, while we were there, the brand new vanity that they had ordered from Home Depot finally came in. Special order can't be returned. So it's now sitting under a tarp in their carport. Oh, and the two new recliners that they bought through Big Lot's store had to be ordered. They finally arrived. And now they have no place for them because their house isn't big enough for the, the new house would have been. And we were watching Sheldon and Verna literally die a, thousand, a death of a thousand cuts. Because this was their dream. This was what they had looked forward to for months and months and months. And finally it just fell apart. And they're struggling right now. It's hard. They're trying so hard to to say, we don't understand. But we trust God. And we don't understand. 
And we trust God. And a, member, a man came, who is a Christian came in up to Shelton the other day and said, why don't you just buy the house? Why don't you just, there's, it's a perfect house for you. It's perfect for everything you've ever wanted. Why don't you just buy it? And Sheldon looked at me and said, you don't understand. We laid a fleece. We believed that God is in charge. And as much as it doesn't make sense from anybody else's perspective, this is what we are having to walk in. Now, as we left, they were still struggling. It was still very painful. And they're just trusting that God knows what God's doing. And they're like, you know, maybe we'll find someday that there was something that some reason why we should never have bought the house. And it's a good thing. But right now, that's not what's happening right now. Right now, I'm so disappointed right now. Don't rain on that that vanity. Literally, an inch and a half of rain in West Texas in less than 24 hours. Right after he covers this brand new vanity with a car with a tarp, <laughs> it's like. Gah! And you know what my first thought was? <sighs> Did you make a Jephthah vow? Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are shaking your head. Turn to Judges chapter 11. You don't have to. I've got it. I can read it for you. But Judges chapter 11. Jephthah was one of the judges of ancient Israel. And Jephthah was a person who God raised up to rescue the Israelites out of uh, uh, an attack that they were going through. And Jephthah said in the heat of the moment. Let me turn to it. Chapter 11. In the heat of the moment, while he was, well, it literally says the spirit of God came on him. He was just on fire for God. And it says, verse 30, well, it's verse, let's do 30, 30, 29, 30, and 31. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites, it shall be the Lord's. I will offer it up right there as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them. And when he came home, Behold, his daughter came out playing tambourines. And so he killed her. Because that's what he said. Whatever comes out to greet me when I come home after victory, I will offer it to you as a bread offering. Horrible story. But that was my thought. God, did, did, did Sheldon make a Jephthah vow? Was he not listening carefully? Did he mess up? And now he's stuck because he made a vow and he said, this is the way it's got to be. And now everything that was his dream is not his anymore because of something stupid that he did. But I don't have clear guidance that that's what happened. See, there's nothing wrong with laying fleeces when you're trying to understand God's will. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, the Bible has it right here. If you look in Judges chapter six, we have the story of Gideon. And Gideon is being asked of God to do something glorious and powerful. And God said, I'll be with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, ah, you don't know who you're talking to. He says, I'm scared to death. I'm not a mighty warrior. And Gideon literally says, verses 36 through 40. (coughs) Excuse me. I lost my voice earlier this week. It came back. It's starting to go away again. 
Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me, but let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. This time, please let it be dry on the fleece only and all the ground. Let it be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground. There was dew. You see, God doesn't balk when we want to test and make sure that we are following God's plan. God will work with us in that. That's totally perfectly biblical to say, I'm trying to discern here. I'm not sure what your plan is. I think I know what you're saying, but can you help me by make this happen, God? And God does it. He can do it. So did did Sheldon make a Jephthah vow? Was he doing a Gideon thing? I don't know. I wasn't the one. I just know that he's in pain right now. What I see my brother-in-law doing right now is living Abraham. Now, Abraham's story, and we don't have time this morning to go read through the whole thing because it goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. Let me give you a little quick synopsis. Abraham meets with God. God says, "You have called. I have called you out. You are special. I am going to make you as your family members as numerous as the sands of the sea, as many as the stars are. If you could count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. But prior, I mean, but at that time of the promise, Abraham and his wife were barren. There were no children. God makes a promise. This is going to happen. Abraham says, I believe it. And they live. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Menstrual cycle after menstrual cycle after menstrual cycle after menstrual cycle. And it never, ever happens. And finally, Sarah in desperation says, I have a young, very fertile female servant. I'll give her to you. She can bear children in my name. And Abraham goes, okay. And so he can, he has sex with this concubine and cat, and she has a child that's Sarah's. Ah, but it's not Sarah's, it's Hagar's. And we all know if you've read the scriptures, you know all the distress and torment and frustration that come down even to today as a result of trying to circumvent the promise that God made. But ultimately, God comes down and speaks face to face with Abram again and says, this time next year, Sarah will conceive and have a child. And indeed, it does happen. And God blesses and God gives them a son and Isaac is born and then God raises Isaac. I mean, mean, Isaac grows to be a strong, virile young man. And then God in Genesis chapter two comes back to Abraham and says, kill him. What? Kill him. But God, you said you were going to bless all of the world through my my family and Isaac is the only one. You said he was the child of the promise. Kill him. Okay. And so I, Abraham packs up the animal, I mean the, the, the donkey with the wood and they carry the fire and they're walking with the servants. 
So it wasn't just an overnight quick one, two, three thing. This was a days long process. And they finally get to the place of sacrificing. It says Abraham turns to his servants and says, you stay here. I'm going to go up with Isaac to the mountain and we will return later. Blah, 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 blah. After the sacrifice is done. And then he literally bound, binds his son up and lays him on the altar and gets ready to kill him. And the Bible says he literally has raised the knife with every intent of plunging it into his only son's heart. And God then and only then says, stop. Now that I know I have you 100%. Now that I know that you would be willing to give up everything for me. Now I can trust you. And then God provided the ram and they were able to sacrifice. So I see what I see is Sheldon and Verna are more living Abraham and Sarah than they're living Jephthah or Gideon. They're literally trying to live for God following the plan that seems to be laid out for him. But is there a Bible story that I can apply to their life? And I would say, yes, there is a Bible story that I can apply to their life. And it is found right here in Luke chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 50 says, There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision and action to have Jesus crucified, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet been laid, and it was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was just beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body, how Jesus' body was laid, and then they all returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Pastor Bob, how in the world does that Bible story have anything to do with Sheldon and Vernon, what they're facing? Well, you see, it's Saturday morning. Jesus is dead. All of the things that I have hoped for and dreamed for for the last three years, everything I poured my life into is now done. I mean, this man told me that I had value. This man called me out and said, follow me. And I literally forsake everything to follow him. I don't understand, God. I don't understand, God. This doesn't make sense. You made specific promises. I fall for that. And then you ripped the rug out from underneath me. This doesn't make sense. And if they could hear the Holy Spirit, which I'm not sure that they could at that moment. If they could have heard the Holy Spirit, they would have heard the Holy Spirit saying, patience, trust. Nothing's changed. The plan that I set in motion so long ago is just getting ready to come to fruition. You just have to trust me. I know from your vantage point, it doesn't look right. I know from where you're sitting, it makes no sense. But trust me. 
I have an incredible, incredible world-changing plan that's in process. Just another 12 or 15 hours and you'll fully understand everything. Don't stop believing now. Hold on. Hold on. Now, there's no promise that Sheldon and Verna will ever be given an answer to the why. There's no promise that Sheldon and Verna will ever actually live in that home that they have poured their heart into over the coming, over the past number of months. There's nothing at this moment in time, there's nothing that God has said to them that lets them still hold on to that hope. They've had to just abandon that hope. But they have to understand and trust just like I told the kids. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can trust me. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's coming down the pike, I'm always here with you. The image I have, and I wish I could have found some image for the screen in front of you, was an image of a little child holding on to their parent's hand as they walk down a dark place. If you can, bring that screen with the mountains back up. I loved that image when I came in here this morning because I can't see around the curve. I know where I'm at, but I'm in the wilderness. (laughs) There is no place in sight that's going to offer me any refuge. I have nothing, I have no idea what's coming around the corner. But I know who's holding my hand. And I know he's promised he's not going to run off and leave me. And I just have to continue to walk that path. And eventually, as I round the curve, I'll see what's around it. And I no longer have to fear. And I no longer have to be concerned. And everything that you sang and everything that you said this morning was perfect to what God had put on my heart. I don't know who it is that needed to hear these words this morning. That's not my concern. It's between you and God. But if you have been walking in anxiety and fear and frustration and 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 torment over, I don't know what's going to happen, God. The word to you is trust me. The word to you is be patient. The word to you is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Continue to hold on to my powerful right hand. And we will walk this together. Hold on to that. Those are your Saturday morning thoughts. Until you see what's coming on Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. 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 And I am so thankful that I can trust you and rest in you. And I ask the same for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room. Help them, Father, to hold on to your hand and to trust. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.